Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our uh, latest bonus episode for uh, these next couple of weeks. Of course, we did one already, but if you haven't uh, listened in recently or this is your first time listening, we're doing some bonus episodes of our franchise-focused segment. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Mavericks. Before we begin, I'm your host, Karsten, and welcome to the show, uh, slash welcome back to the show. You know, whether you're... uh, a longtime listener of the podcast, or you're brand new to the show. Either way, just want to say that we really appreciate your support and thank you for tuning in. Uh, we can't thank you enough. Um, and uh, we're in a very exciting moment at this current uh, time that we're recording this in the NBA. Uh, of course, last night we had a full slate of games kind of uh, after a little bit of a, a delay, of course, with the quarterfinal games of the in-season tournament but tonight and actually starting i think maybe already started the first game the uh the semifinal matchups you'll have the uh the pacers and the bucks um the bucks a home team there designated but of course all these both these games are in las vegas and then the uh, lakers hosting the pelicans so it's exciting stuff but of course today we're focused on our bonus episode and again we're doing our franchise focus for the Dallas Mavericks. So let's go ahead and hop right into that. Franchise focus. And how appropriate that we're talking about the Dallas Mavericks today of all days, because last night they just had um, a ridiculous game. And we're actually just going to use this as a bonus opportunity to to do this game summary. How about this victory at home against the Utah jazz? Of course, I'm as a jazz fan myself, not, not too pleased about this result. The Mavericks win it by 50 points, even 147 to 97, your final score in Dallas, um, just a commanding victory for them. And let's actually see if we can pull up a little bit more details about this game in particular. I watched uh, a good chunk of the first half, and then after that first half, I kind of tuned away to be completely honest with you, um, because I was not a fan of what I was seeing from from the Jazz uh, and the Mavericks dominating this game. And, uh, and the Jazz kind of hung with them a little bit in the first half. Um, excuse me. They kind of kept it somewhat close, I guess you could say, but, uh, you know, the hot start that the Mavericks had. I mean, Luca at the end of the first half had a 25 point triple double at the end of the first half. And uh, that tells you just about everything that you need to know about this game. Uh, I mean, the jazz had 21 from Ochag Baji, but that was about it. Otherwise very rough. Um, they were out rebounded by the Mavericks. They're the Mavericks had 15 more assists more steals, more blocks. The Jazz had 12 more turnovers. The Mavericks shot 15% better from the floor and 8% better from three. I mean, the Mavericks dominated this game. And, I mean, I've mentioned the Jazz a little bit, but we're focusing, of course, on the Mavericks. And, um, I mean, they're led by a little more than 20, it looks like, at the end of the first half. And then it was... Uh, almost 30, and then it was the 50-point lead. I mean, it just got worse and worse as the game went on. And for the Mavericks, again, we're focused on them. This is the kind of game that we know they're capable of with their talent and the recent team. Of course, led by Luka, he's the um, 
the catalyst for everything over the last four or five seasons, including a conference finals appearance in the 2022 season, um, 52 wins that year. They've been very competitive uh, every year they've had him. Um, Now his rookie year, they missed the playoffs because it was a transitional year. The last year of Dirk's career, the franchise franchise's great greatest player up to this point. And it was Luca's rookie year. So that was a transitional year. Then the next three years, they made the playoffs again, uh, culminating in a conference finals appearance last season, of course, um, another, you know, transitional moment in the sense of the, the Kyrie Irving trade. And there was difficulty acclimating Kyrie, or there was something going on with the team at that current moment, whether it was correlation or causation with the, the Kyrie trade, you know, you can debate that, but they ended up missing out on even the play-in tournament, which was a, quite a surprise in a very wild Western Conference. This season, they're off to a strong start, and they've slipped a bit in recent weeks, but they're 12-8. and eight. They're winning 60% of their games so far. Um, and again, the dominating win against a, a against a Jazz, you know, is certainly what you would expect, but uh, just an impressive performance all around. And again, Luca with the... 25 point triple double. I mean, he played in the third quarter, picked up uh, 15 more points and an assist. So he finished with 40 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, playing 31 minutes. I doubt he played any of the fourth quarter. Kyrie, 26 points, four assists, and three steals. Uh, they got 12 from Derek Jones Jr. starting, 10 points, four boards, two blocks for Derek Lively, the second, the rookie, uh, 17 off the bench for Tim Hardaway Jr., 10 points off the bench for Seth Curry. And, um, you look at the current roster and we mentioned, of course, Luca and Kyrie, that's going to be the starting point for everything, especially offensively. You know, they're going to carry most of the scoring workload, especially of, of the starters. They're going to be the guys that do it. Um, you know, they'll, they'll distribute the ball as well. They'll, they'll get some boards. They'll, they'll do some defensive things. Um, not as much as some of the other guys on the team, of course, lively. I mentioned him, the rookie at the center. I think that was a super underrated pickup. I think he could be one of the better players of this recent draft class. What he brings to them, I mean, he's he's a pick and roll threat from what I've seen. Um, super athletic, good rebounder. Um, in you know, just 18 games so far in his young career, 25 minutes a game, averaging seven and a half rebounds. That's fairly solid, and also 1.6 blocks per game defensive and the rebounding, you know, both of those aspects, I think are going to be huge assets to the Mavericks. You add a guy like Derek Jones Jr. Who's versatile athletic can, can keep a a defensive identity. Um, And then off the bench, of course, Tim Hardaway Jr. He's averaging about 16.8 points per game. You know, I like what they've got. And again, they're winning games so far. Um, They've got things working. One thing I was kind of pontificating on was the idea of what if the uh, Mavericks made some sort of move, you know, with the Raptors being up in the air and as far as their competitive aspirations, you know, there's a few players and they have so many versatile players, defensive minded players. Of course, the Scotty Barnes leading their team at the moment. You have OG Ananobi, Precious, Precious Achiwa even, or like a Jalen McDaniels, those last two guys off the bench mainly, you know, what if the Mavericks made some sort of deal to bring in one of those guys to further solidify a defensive situation 
uh, inside or a forward situation, you know, I feel like that would be a great asset to them. And, uh, you know, that could be a move that could make the difference. Um, now I don't purport to know if that's really what they need from my outside, um, not very basketball experienced in terms of a playing career or a coaching career. Uh, from my perspective, I feel like that could be something, something worth looking at, especially with Doncic, Kyrie, Tim Hardaway Jr. Those guys are going to take care of your scoring for the most part. You have spot up guys outside of that with Grant Williams, the recent acquisition, who I I think early on the the price paid might be a bit of might have been a bit of a reach, but he's still solid, made, making about 40% of his threes, about 10 points a game. That's good production. You know, Josh Green, the rookie, can can score a bit or not the he's a second or third year player at this point, but still a young guy is more what I mean to say. Uh can score a little bit, can shoot the ball. You have, you know. Seth Curry off the bench, Jaden Hardy, another young guy and a young scorer. So you have that identity. Dwight Powell, I think, can work as a reserve big man. He's been starting a little bit too much too often for Dallas in recent seasons. And then Kleba is that defensive forward. But again, you add a guy, maybe you give up one of the scorers, but you bring in you know, let's say it's Jalen McDaniels or or Shua. I feel like that would be a, an asset to them, would bring something that they're maybe missing and would strengthen their lineup. Rashawn Holmes getting some more minutes maybe. You know, there's a lot to like with this Mavericks roster, actually. You know, it's just maybe a tweak here, a small move that could that could make that happen. So otherwise, and and maybe it's, you know, one of the rookies in uh, Olivier Maxence Prosper. Uh, I mean, a 6'8", power forward, uh, great strength and size and um I haven't seen a ton of the defensive impact from him yet, so not sure if that's really his game. But again, just some some possibilities. But otherwise, they're in great position with Luca and Kyrie. It's just strengthening that lineup, and then Luca continuing to mature into what we've already kind of seen from him in a regular season standpoint, and in small doses in that one playoff run. You know, a a true MVP, a guy that will impact the game in multiple aspects who's clutch who's not afraid of any situation and he's playing with a guy who has championship experience in Kyrie and a head coach with championship experience we'll get to that in a moment but yeah it's they're in a great position you know and uh for me a gripe would be maybe they update the uniforms at this point um I feel like they've had the current set for just a touch long I like what their statement set has and maybe you use that as a base for the, you know, updated current uniforms. But that's besides the point. They look really good. And uh, there's not too much more you can say about the current Mavericks. Um, and Dallas has been blessed. You know, you look at their history in the last, uh, well, really since Mark Cuban took over ownership. They've been one of the more competitive teams in the entire NBA. I mean, in the playoffs, all but a handful of those seasons winning a championship in 2011, one of the all-time greats and certainly one of the greatest international players of all time, Dirk Nowitzki at the helm of the, you know, leading the charge, you know, great supporting casts, you know, they've been blessed. And especially you look at the run from the year 2000 to the end of that championship season, they never won less than, about 61% of their games in any given season. 
they won 70% or more in four of those seasons, including 81% of their games, 67 wins in the 07 season in which Dirk Nowitzki was the league MVP. They've had some standout teams and uh, that 2007 team gets analyzed because of its first round upset. You talk about, of course, the championship team. Um, for our purposes, I thought it might be fun to talk about um, one of those great teams that gets at times a touch forgotten, but they've uh, been recognized in their own right a little bit further back. But the early days and uh, a sometimes forgotten co-star of Dirk's because of his time as an MVP on a different team, we're going to talk about the 0-2-0-3 Dallas Mavericks, um, which was when they really... I mean, of course, before that, they'd been a very good team. They'd gotten to the second round, but this year in the uh, the 03 season, they got to the conference finals against the, you know, burgeoning dynasty in the San Antonio Spurs. Um, and they lost that series in six games, very close series. Um, but yeah, regular season wise, the 03 Mavericks, 60 wins, 22 losses, coached by legendary head coach Don Nelson. Um, and we've talked about his teams uh, once or twice in the past. Um, I know for sure we talked about that uh, one of his teams was the uh, early Milwaukee Bucks of the early 80s. Um, now we're talking about his team with the, the Dallas Mavericks. I didn't realize that he was a head coach in New York in the early night or in the mid 90s. How about that? Had no idea that that was part of his head coaching career. But apart from that, I mean, yeah, legendary head coach won at least 55% of his games throughout his whole tenure, uh, building playoff comp- contenders and, and championship contenders. Never quite won the championship, uh, at least, yeah, but was, was again, very competitive in the playoffs. And um, you look at the team, we got to talk about the team itself. Of course, Dirk. Uh, emerging as one of the league's great players in this season, averaging about 25 points a game, 10 rebounds, three assists, 1.4 steals, one block a game, uh, shooting 38% from three. A little ahead of his time, of course, one of the great stretch fours, maybe the greatest of all time. And then you look at the supporting cast, Michael Finley, averaging about 19 a game and six boards, underrated small forward, good shooter in his own right. And then how about Steve Nash uh, really coming into his own as one of the league's top point guards, Uh, about 18 points a game, seven assists, um, three boards, not a defensive threat, but how about the shooting? Uh, 46%, excuse me, from the floor, 41% from three point range, 90% from the free throw line. One of the great shooters ever. That trio was very good, very underrated. And you kind of wish that Nash would have been there a little bit longer throughout the 2000s. Maybe they could have broke through to a championship a little bit sooner. You know, it's hard to hard to say for sure. You know, the bench, there's some concerns. Um, I mean, Nick Van Exel was still very, very good. And he's an underrated career as far as what he was able to do. Um, He's more of a backup guard, which is, you know, a great backup guard to have. You have Rafe LaFrance and Sean Bradley splitting the minutes of center, and that's an issue. You know, Bradley, of course, with his incredible height, 7'5", 7'6", could block shots and could grab boards, but was limited 
Rafe LaFrentz, a bigger guy who just liked to shoot threes and uh, wasn't a great rebounder, but could block some shots as well. Um, you know, I feel like there was a better fit and they found it in 2011 with a guy like Tyson Chandler. But, you know, those guys were productive in their own right. Um, and then you had a guy like Adrian Griffin, who's now head coach in Milwaukee, of course, starting a bunch of games as a as a swing man who could uh, just be productive from a few different standpoints. Um, picking up some points and, and grabbing some boards, you know, underrated as a, a bench piece. You have Edu- Eduardo Nahara, uh, who missed some time with injury, it looks like, but uh, the percentages, you know, 55% from the floor, not really shooting the three as of yet at that point in his career. Um, Walt Williams, a decent wing. Raja Bell, still in his early stages of his career, trying to find more minutes carving out his niche as a defensive specialist. Uh, Avery Johnson, a very veteran point guard. Um, Evan Eschmeyer, he's a Georgia Tech guy, right? No, Northwestern. There's somebody with a similar name that was a Georgia Tech center that I'm thinking of. But um, yeah, there's just a lot of guys to work with here. And of course, I'm sure there was plenty of lineup experimenting with Don Nelson that's kind of his mo is this he was the guy to bring about the small ball play you know in the playoffs of course finley nash and davitsky are going to start every game they play um lafrent started most games but then you have a ton of games where raja bell started sean bradley started van exel started uh looks like maybe some games a handful of games where lafrent bradley and davitsky started or maybe there was a few games where davitsky missed so maybe that's the games where the, the overlap happened um, but not afraid to tinker. And if there's a complaint about this team, maybe that's, you know, a small legacy of Don Nelson in the, the sense that he was almost too experimental. And um, again, not afraid to tinker, to go unconventional. And I think that was an asset. That's what allowed them to win games, but at times maybe pushing that too far and going too outside the box a little ahead of this time. You know, I feel like if he was a coach nowadays, he would be, you know, if he was on one of the top teams, he would have them in contention the very same way. And he would maybe even be doing better in this modern age. But then who knows? Maybe with what's acceptable now, he would be pushing it even further. Maybe we'd have the, you know, late stage James Harden Rockets with Mike D'Antoni where they're starting, you know, Jeff Green at center or uh, Robert Covington at center and just going ultra small. And uh, at that point they weren't winning as many games. It's hard to say, you know, and I, again, I don't want to be dismissive of the small ball thing because again, it clearly works in, you know, you, you got to be careful about it though. And I think with Don Nelson, maybe that was an issue at points in the past, but still a great team all around. You know, and let's look at that playoff run in particular. Uh, they had to lose her. They had to win. Uh, they had to lose a few games along the way. Close fought series in the first round and the second round against first the Portland Trailblazers, um, the uh, the Jailblazers at this point. But those were still good teams. Rasheed Wallace, Scottie Pippen, uh, you know, that whole team kind of in their twilight of that run. Uh, a seven game series and then the very next round seven game series against the uh, almost 
prime Sacramento Kings. You know, they were starting to deal with the injury issue. Chris Weber, I believe, uh, yeah, was injured and missed a lot of this that series against the Mavericks. Um, but Stiakovich was able to fill in the gaps at moments. You know, Mike Bibby, Divots, I mean, that, that was still a great team. So it was a tough road. And then you face that Spurs team that went on to win the championship. Uh, same record as the Mavericks. But, of course, you have uh, a top of his game, Tim Duncan. You have Tony Parker coming into his own. Bruce Bowen, the defensive impact. David Robinson still productive, even though he's aging. Manu Ginobili getting minutes. Steve Smith's on this team. Steven Jackson, Steve Kerr, Kevin Willis, Danny Ferry. Man, they had a lot of, you know, either past their primes or coming into their own or in their prime. And, uh, you know, Tim Duncan in his prime, his averages in the playoffs, 25 points a game, 15 rebounds, three blocks, five assists. Um, not much more you could ask from from a star, an MVP level player at that point. He might have been MVP that season, actually, 03. I want to say he was. Um, but, uh, you know, just phenomenal team. And to lose in the conference finals six games to that kind of team, um, you know, you would have taken either one of those teams in the finals, especially at a point where the East was seen as the weaker conference. They would have played the uh, New Jersey Nets in the finals, and you would think the Mavericks would have a good chance of winning that series. So, that conference finals, you could almost kind of count that as the finals uh, if you want to be a little bit more pessimistic about the Eastern Conference. But, uh, you know, that's about all I can say uh, in terms of the this Mavericks team, just a great all-round squad. Uh, Finley, Nash, and, of course, Nowitzki, just a great team all-round. And uh, going back to that finals conversation, it's funny we mentioned those New Jersey Nets teams because the player we're going to talk about is undoubtedly one of the all-time greats. He was on the Nets at that point, and we're talking about Jason Kidd, and his impact on the Mavericks franchise is certainly unique. Of course, if you want to talk about before he got to the Mavericks, uh, we're talking about one of the most uh, storied high school and collegiate careers uh, of all time, certainly high school. I mean, he's been listed as one of the 35 greatest McDonald's All-Americans of all time. That was in 2012, um, multiple state championships. He grew up in Oakland and frequently played uh, pickup games with another Hall of Fame point guard in in Gary Payton, uh, played against Gary Payton. So those two certainly made each other better, uh, two of the greatest to ever play the point. And then in college, you know, surprised people by, by going to uh, by California, uh, Cal Berkeley, the Golden Bears uh, elevated them instantly to a competitive team uh, and an NCAA tournament team. Uh, they upset Duke one year, uh, but then they were upset a few other times, uh, once by Wisconsin Green Bay, uh, in, uh, I want to say his final season of, of college, uh, California retired his number, of course. Uh, so he was <clears throat> a top prospect, no doubt. He was picked second overall in the 1994 NBA draft and that rookie year with Dallas, uh, not the big scorer, but he never was a big scorer in his NBA career. Uh, of course, the assists and the rebounds. He averaged 7.7 assists as a rookie, 5.4 rebounds. Led the NBA in triple doubles, full stop, the NBA as a whole. Uh, he was 
a co-rookie of the year, one of the few times that's happened, with Grant Hill, who was the third overall pick in that draft. Out of curiosity, who was the first pick in that 94 draft? Glenn Robinson. Not a bad pick, but you compare it to the careers of a Grant Hill even, uh, and certainly a, a Jason Kidd. You wonder what might have happened with the Bucks if they had taken Jason Kidd. But, uh, you know, still, Glenn Robinson was a great player in his own right. Um, and the impact of his NBA career, you just have to look at the record, you know, um, the the records at his various stops. Of course, the Mavericks, before they drafted Kidd, had an NBA worst record. They were 13 and 69 in the 94 season. That 95 season, his rookie year, they were 36 and 46, a 23 game improvement, which is phenomenal. Now, they did also have some younger talent on the wing with Jim Jackson and, and Jamal Mashburn that were, you know, getting better with every season. But still, that was very phenomenal. The following year, there was the infighting, you know, uh, Secret Base has a great video of the uh it's a beef history video where they break down what went wrong with the the triple j triple j ranch if you want to call it that or the three j's um but that kid ended up being kind of the first domino or one of the first dominoes to fall uh being traded to the phoenix suns and uh a few interesting notes there firstly again the win differential um he was his first full season with the Suns uh, the following year, 97-98. Uh, he was traded midseason in 96-97. The win total improved by 16 games. They finished with a 56-26 and record. And uh, how about the point guards that they had on the roster? Jason, A young Jason kid, uh, a veteran Kevin Johnson, and then uh, this random kid from Santa Clara by the name of Steve Nash. Um three of those guys on the roster at once is pretty phenomenal. You know, I don't, it's rare that you see that. It's almost like in the NFL where you have, you know, Steve Young in the quarterback room with Joe Montana in in San Francisco. I mean, it's just unheard of really. Um, or like a Tim Duncan alongside a, a David Robinson, of course, the team that eliminated them in the first round that same season. Uh, at this point, kid turned into maybe the greatest point guard in the NBA at that moment. Uh, leading the league in assists. Um, the triple doubles stayed the same or, you, you know, stayed a threat rather. The Suns acquired Penny Hardaway and they made a push to be, you know, a Western Conference contending team. Kid had some personal issues, uh, some uh, a domestic abuse charge. Um, definitely not great there, of course, but uh, they stayed competitive in the playoffs. Uh, couldn't quite break through in a loaded West. He was then traded to New Jersey. Uh, was an MVP candidate there and was even greater, leading the Nets to back-to-back finals appearances. Um, you get into the minutiae of it, you know, and it, you wonder for the Mavericks, what if they had kept Jason Kidd? And, you know, they they had Dirk. Well, maybe they wouldn't have been in the draft position to get Dirk. That's certainly a valid point. But having that type of all-time great point guard leadership, you know, it improved all these teams. It was the same for the Nets. Um it was, you know, his first full year uh, or his first season there. They finished thir- 52 and 30, which was 26 games better than the previous season. The first 50 win season in the franchise's history in the NBA. Of course, they'd done that in the ABA. But, uh, you know, just constantly powered winning basketball, no matter the cast around him. And uh, 
you know, I think the Mavericks recognize this as well. And again, we talked about that that with Steve Nash um, being absent from the team in the mid to late 2000s, and the team had kind of faltered in playoff moments, even though regular season-wise they got a ton of wins. Dirk was at an MVP caliber level. And so, you know, Jason Kidd had played a, a season and a half for the Mavericks at the very beginning of his career, and they thought, you know what, let's see if we can undo – you know, some mistakes of the past. It's late in his career. He's starting to decline, but let's bring him back. So February of 2008, they make the trade to bring him back to Dallas. There was a different version of the trade previously um, that would have moved Stackhouse and uh, and Devin George to the, the Nets from the Mavericks. Um, that trade um, was kind of broken up by Devin George. He invoked his bird rights. And uh, Trenton Hassel replaced George and Keith Van Horn replaced Stackhouse also because if they'd made that move as it was and moved Stackhouse and he was waived um, then or, or bought out rather the NBA said that the Mavericks wouldn't have been able to re-sign him. So I guess that was kind of one of those moves you give away a guy knowing you can get him right back, but apparently that might've been risked to, there was a, a risk that wouldn't have worked. So they kept, uh, Stackhouse, who they wanted, and they gave up Keith Van Horn, who was aging. Um, anyways, we're getting to the minutia of the trade, but now they have Kid back on the, the lineup, aging, but still productive as the point guard, Dirk as the uh, the star, and uh, they, they're they in the, the playoff mix again, uh, as they were no matter Kid or, or no Kid. Um, they lose in the early rounds of the playoffs a few times. And then you have the 2011 season where they, they got the perfect mix. They had Tyson Chandler for just that one season. And uh, that was such an underrated, um, you know, year for a team in NBA history. He was with Charlotte the year before that. And then after the season, he goes to New York. And so he was just an X factor for them. You know, the common denominator, uh, between the years they didn't make it to the finals or win the finals and that one season, you know, I, well, they didn't have Tyson Chandler. So he was such a, a big impact to have alongside Dirk, you know, the complimentary game, uh, Jason Kidd leading the charge at the point uh, with the steals and the assists and the rebounds. Jason Terry becomes the sixth man and his scoring is hugely impactful and the season looks like it's in crisis because they lose Karan Butler early on, but little do we know that they would end up being so stacked. Deshaun Stevenson starts a ton of games. Pedro Stiakovic starts. Um, they have guys that can fill in the gaps in the playoffs. Deshaun Stevenson is a starter uh, alongside Sean Marion uh, playing at the, the small forward, really, and Stevenson at the shooting guard. Uh, J.J. Barea, Pedro Stiakovic, Brendan Haywood, Yamahimi, Corey Brewer, you know, they just had a great mix of guys, you know, filling all the gaps they needed to. And of course they go on to win the championship. Jason Kidd, uh, certainly a huge factor in that. Um, after that, uh, the following season, the 2012 season was the last for Jason Kidd in Dallas for the, you know, total six, five or six seasons that he played in Dallas. Um, you know, they, they were swept by the Thunder in the first round. Um, and then Kid played one more season with the New York Knicks. 
bringing the veteran leadership there. But at that point, he was definitely, uh, you know, losing a lot of his productivity. He was aging. And it's funny. He retired uh, June 3rd of 2013. And that was the announcement was two days after his co-rookie of the year, Grant Hill, uh, retired from the NBA as well. So those two guys going out at the same time, coming in with such great flair. It's fun to kind of think about, and especially with those guys being the triple double threats that they were and the unique players that they were um, definitely a fun footnote in NBA history. Uh, And since then, you know, that was not the end of Jason Kidd's impact in Dallas. Uh, Of course, he coached that following season after his retirement for the Brooklyn Nets uh, tenure that was not ultra successful and had its interesting moments. Of course, the, uh, the intentional spilling of the soda to get an extra time out. Um, which he was fined for. He moved on to Milwaukee for uh, about three or four seasons after that, and they struggled to find consistency. He was, uh, you know, let go for a different coaching situation. Um, He was then an assistant with the Lakers and was one of the assistants for that championship team in 2020, kind of reinvigorated the the gleam around his coaching uh, acumen. And he was hired by the Dallas Mavericks in 2021 to be their head coach and, of course, led them to the conference finals. So he has looked like the uh, the the great fit, the rejuvenated head coach for what the Mavericks do now. And he's their head coach at the moment, continuing to be a factor for the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, that's just such a unique career impact for not only the the two stints at the very beginning and, and near the very end of his career, but also to be the coach for the team for their transformative triple double threat player in Luka Doncic. Um, you know, it's hard to think of many more players impactful to the Mavericks and Jason Kidd outside of maybe, you know, a Dirk Nowitzki, um, but otherwise just a great career all around. Uh, of course, a great national team career in 2000 and 2008, one of the key members of the the redeem team in 08 and uh, one of the greats in NBA history. That's really, you know, not much more he can say about it than that. Let's kind of leave off on that. Let's see where he ranks all time in, uh, in some of those career stats. Um, I mean, he's, I want to say certainly top five in total assists. He's number two, all time, 12,000 career assists just behind John Stockton's 15,800. Um, Chris Paul, the closest to passing Jason Kidd, LeBron in fourth. Um, And then how about steals? I would proffer to say that he is second as well, but let's see if we can uh, pull that back up. Accidentally close the tab instead of going back. Yep. Second in steals as well. 26 or 2,684. John Stockton leading, of course, with 3,000. 265 Chris Paul the closest again there Jordan fourth so yeah second in both assists and steals to John Stockton hard to argue with that you got to say these top five point guards in the history of the game and uh, a great career for the Mavericks and uh, with that I believe that wraps up our franchise focus for the Dallas Mavericks Um, apologies to the Cavs fans I didn't mean this to go a little bit longer but I just kind of rambled a little bit more in this particular episode there's not hopefully not as an element of favoritism because I don't really have a favorite between those two teams, I suppose, but it's fun to note 
the Cavs and the Mavs, uh, the two shortened versions of those team names together. That's a fun note, but uh, that's just about it for us here today. Uh, again, tomorrow we're going to be recapping the currently uh, in process semifinal action of the in-season tournament. We'll be previewing uh, as well the the Saturday game, the championship game for the in-season tournament. So that should be a lot of fun. Um, with that, that should be pretty much it. Thank you again for tuning in. We really appreciate your support and we'll be back with you on uh, tomorrow's show. Thanks again.